electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Market moving insight and analysis. Join Jim Cramer, David Faber, and me, Carl Quintanilla, on the opening bell hour of CNBC Squawk on the Street. Good Wednesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer, David Faber. Futures are solid coming off the Nasdaq's 30th record high of the year. Watching vaccine news, stimulus talks. Big miss on ADP, but revisions were up. Coming up this hour, Teladoc and Livongo on their merger and Nicholas Trevor Milton on the company's first earnings report. We're going to start the show, though, this morning with David's got some news on Microsoft and TikTok. Yeah, guys, you know, want to continue to update a story that we're following very closely, given just, well, we've never seen anything quite like it, have we? Of course, TikTok, the incredibly popular social media app here in the U.S. and around the world. ByteDance, its owner, the U.S. government, of course, saying we will shut TikTok down unless you find a way in the U.S., unless you find a way to transfer all of it to U.S. ownership. Uh, And Microsoft, of course, playing a role as the potentially only suitor for the business. Guys, I wanted to bring everybody up to date on on new reporting that I've got because it is interesting. The both sides right now, ByteDance and Microsoft, and of course the U.S. government is still very much involved in this as well, are negotiating to try to reach some sort of an agreement under which Microsoft would buy the U.S. business of of TikTok's U.S. business from ByteDance and a couple of other territories within the next two to three weeks. That seems to be what they're hoping for in terms of a timeline. Obviously, in these kinds of talks, you always do set a timeline to try to to deal with all the big issues. The biggest issue thus far has been actually involving technology and particularly the transfer of the software code that currently sits in China that runs TikTok. We're talking as much as 15 million lines of AI. We talk often about whether the Chinese have a lead in AI. Well, AI has been at the heart of what has made TikTok and the algorithm there so strong. Uh, and why conceivably it's become so addictive for so many teens around uh, the world. 15 million lines of code. There's just not that many companies that could even be in a position to transfer that. And there's been a negotiation going on about how long the U.S. government would give any buyer to actually take that code from China and move it to U.S. servers. The answer is one year. And again, the number or universe of companies that would even would be in a position to have enough software engineers to accomplish a task like that, well, it's extraordinarily small. And so that's another reason why it would seem when you tick off Google or Facebook that you're left with Microsoft. They have agreed, I am told by people familiar with the situation, to a one-year deadline to transfer this code. And again, I mean, you're talking about ByteDance has about 10,000 software engineers. So this is an enormous undertaking that Microsoft, perhaps alone, is in a position to actually do if they want to move forward with the deal, which, of course, then gets you to value. And that is what they are just beginning to talk about now, again, according to people who are familiar with the negotiations. They've sort of bracketed a, a, a basic idea of where value might be. Perhaps it's as low as $10 billion. It might go as high as Oh, I don't know. Yiming, the uh, the founder, 36-year-old founder of ByteDance, might want as much as $30 billion, but it's very much unclear you could get to that number because let's not forget, of course, you are either faced with shutting down the business 
or selling it. And so it would seem at almost any price it's worthwhile to ByteDance to get something for this business as opposed to taking its chances that perhaps within some period of time, maybe when there's if there is a new administration at some point, they might be able to reopen TikTok in the U.S., which, by the way, remains a very much uh, uh, unknowable answer in terms of that question. So that's where things stand right now. They're hoping to get to a deal within two to three weeks. They're just starting to talk about value. They have reached an agreement with the U.S. government about how long they will have to actually transfer this code, guys. It doesn't mean it's a done deal by any means. And And, of course, there is always a possibility, should Microsoft say, hey, we're not going to pay a lot for this business um, because you have no other options, that ByteDance simply says, yeah, but you know what? Forget it. We're just going to shut it down and take our chances. There is always that possibility, Jim. We'll see. And, you know, you are talking about, depending on who you talk to, a business with as many as 100 million monthly average users in the U.S., 55 million perhaps daily average users. Time spent is enormous with a growth path that many believe is extraordinary and could open up a truly new business for Microsoft that reaches well into tens and billions of value over time. David, if Microsoft just runs the operations only, but ByteDance keeps running product development and the algorithm, most importantly, well, that doesn't really address the national security situation. So what you're telling me is they can cure that? Yeah, I think the cure is that everything gets moved to the U.S., all software code. So there's no connection whatsoever with ByteDance. There's no connection at all to Chinese servers, to Chinese engineers, to anything like that. Then that's Which is, again, why that's Microsoft, what- you know, from a security standpoint as well, as you know, has been vetted. The DOD contract we've talked about that Azure uh, got uh, for cloud. Uh, they've been through this. Again, it comes back to this idea, Jim, that there's really only one potential company at this point. No. You can imagine no, others. No. No, there is a hope (laughs) that Hans Vesper gets involved at Verizon with a substantial media division uh, that is AOL and Yahoo with a great balance sheet, no connection to Chinese, and the division itself is moribund. Does Verizon have the, if if they were even to be interested, and I have no idea that they are, I could think of a couple of gaming companies perhaps that might, uh, not gaming. Well, I also thought they interacted, the world that might be, have at least interest in looking at the asset, but I don't know if even Verizon's in a position to have enough software engineers to pull off that feed gem of moving all of that code. Very good point. They are not uh, they're not literate enough. They're co- not code-oriented. However, the problem is Hans has got his hands filled because if you take a look at that last call for Verizon, he doesn't even bother to mention. Imagine no, he doesn't bother to mention Yahoo, and they have a considerable business. AOL, remember Oath, no. David? It wasn't Oath. It no. was Oath. But I do think that they have it. I also thought that inter- interactive, uh, but when that one was kind of thrown up in the air, yeah. uh, Barry Diller didn't necessarily didn't, uh, you know, didn't uh, foot there. Again, I think there. this is a gating issue of such significance, this ability to transfer that code within a year, that it really does leave you to a, to a large... If ByteDance could find other buyers that, were, that passed the U.S. government's test, Jim, they would do so. Absolutely. Because the only way to try to even get anywhere near fair value for this asset will obviously be if you can engage in some sort of an auction. Um, but that is not... Going to potentially be the case. You know, we'll see where they end up over the next two to three weeks and whether they can reach a deal. You know, there are hawks within the administration that fear that Microsoft does not have enough leverage over the PRC and the PRC has leverage over Microsoft. But yeah. if what you said is true about how they can cordon off ByteDance, not use the designers, and most importantly, not use the algorithm, I think the deal does get done and the president's objections will be answered. But we still don't have a read on this uh, so called key money issue. Well, the read I get is that it has not come up in recent conversations between the U.S. government and ByteDance. 
um, even after the president talked about it, that it is the, the, those in the U.S. government who are negotiating on behalf of the U.S. and from their position in CFIUS, for example, in national security, have not brought this idea. Can you reveal now, who's really driving this uh, for the U.S.? Well, I believe the Treasury Secretary is deeply involved. Yeah, that's what I understood, too. Okay, yeah, very good. Deeply involved. So, uh, right. you know, uh, th- that is Could where we, we stand. He should call us and just tell us how he's feeling. That w- that's where we stand, Carl. Certainly wanted to update people on that, and we'll keep close to it as we can. Again, not done deal because not yeah. everybody's in favor of it because there's, se- there's several wings to that White House, David. Yeah, but all right. Understood. Understood. Uh, but, Jim, it, I mean, Microsoft believes, I think, at this point that they have the go ahead to try to negotiate a transaction. I agree with that. And they I'm would just, not move ahead were they not in a position to actually buy the asset if they can agree on a price. OK, I'm just saying that there is a, there's a, a flurry of, of is there anybody else? But I think the answer is. No one is sophisticated enough to handle that code. That's what it feels like at wow. this point. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Saudi and Adela, the good guy. So, so Jim, as people, as people react to your conversation uh, saying Kramer says Yahoo might uh, or Verizon might buy TikTok, is that your argument? No, it's just that they're looking for someone who's like a Verizon. They're looking for someone. They think that a Verizon's an interesting idea, but no one's you – know, it's not like they're, like, negotiating with Hans Vesberg. That is definitely not happening. I'm saying that they're, right, within right. the administration, there are people who are saying, is there anybody else? Like, well, is there anybody else? Because they, there are people who fear that Microsoft's too close to China. Remember – I don't – but I don't think those are the people who are running things right now. No, I agree with I, that. I don't think that's the case. Again, I wouldn't report what I am if I didn't feel confident that it was true. But I would not mention what I said if there, I didn't feel that there were people who are desperate to try to stop it. Right. But may not have the cards. Be, Fair? Be, so they don't want it to be sold to anybody. Yes. Correct. They just want to shut it down. In the end. Some factions within the administration – who conceivably are not at the negotiating table at this point. Well, they keep coming to the Jim, table. I can't imagine who they're you're still talking here. About. We wouldn't know. be having a hot war. Uh, yeah, they're still around. Remember, you can't get rid remember, of them. I, I said it was going to be a cold you war. Said it was going to be a trade war going to a cold you war. You can't so, get rid of that guy. Well, no, he's not that pops guy. Up it's everywhere. An ideology. Yeah. All right. I well, have in my hand, David, a list of 53 people in the State Department who do not agree <laughs> with this man. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, All right. I hear music playing, Carl. He's got his head down. Uh, Yeah, we're going to get to, uh, obviously, a slew of other news. Novavax, uh, Disney, Wendy's, a ton of earnings, and, of course, more on the way tonight. After the break, we're going to talk to Teladoc and Livongo on their merger. They got KKR uh, in uh, buying Ancestry.com. A lot of cross-currents today. Back in a moment. Brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Parametric Equity Premium Income ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find institutional quality expertise from a specialized team with deep derivatives experience. Get to know what's inside PAPI, the symbol of alternative income, at eatonvance.com slash CNBC. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC. 
We don't often see this happen. Uh, a company, Teladoc, stocks up 200% this year. Livongo, another company, up 470% this year. This is the real market, people. They are agreeing to merge this morning in a deal valued at $18.5 billion. One of the most exciting deals, if you've been following the, the uh, legitimacy of telemedicine and also the ability of being able to take control of your own health care, which is what Livongo does. We are so thrilled to have Jason Gorovic, who runs Teladoc, and will be running the combined company. Livongo's executive chairman, Glenn Tolman, joining us now. Gentlemen, congratulations on a blockbuster merger that could not have been done, unfortunately, without the pandemic, but is going to rule. Uh, I want to start with you, Jason. You're going to be running the combined company. Uh, I was looking at uh, Eric, uh, Eric Topol's book, The Patient Will See You Now, and he predicted that there would be this company that would be the Uber of healthcare, and it was named Teladoc, and you had done 120,000 consults in 2014. How many consults have you done now? How big are you, and how pervasive you are, uh, both here and worldwide? Well, our guidance for the year is about 10 million virtual visits this year, but we're just scratching the surface. And Bringing together these two companies uh, is the next step in creating a paradigm shift in what people can get from virtual care, regardless of what their clinical condition is. And I think it really has the opportunity to be that destination for consumers, no matter what they're looking for in healthcare. Uh, one of the things, uh, Jason, again, just before I go to Glenn, that I felt has really worked in your favor. No one wants to go to a hospital anymore. I, to go see a doctor, they find it frightening. Teladoc has picked up a huge number of people that, this year simply because everyone's afraid, right? That's exactly right. I mean, I think this was a catalyst. We were already on a tremendous growth trajectory, and the adoption was happening anyway. But I would say that this situation has accelerated consumer adoption, provider adoption, and the role of virtual care by at least three years. And, and you know, that accelerated the bringing together of these two companies, which I would say was inevitable. I just didn't expect it to happen quite this quickly. And when Glenn and I started talking, it became clear that putting the, these two leaders in healthcare together was better than us trying to sort of duke it out in competition because we were ultimately going to converge. All right. So glad I got to tell you, you know, that uh, I've been a big fan of Livongo uh, uh, and, and of your work, which I've known for two decades. Uh, your stock is, as I mentioned, up 470 percent. Why uh, give in now when you are obviously the leader in uh, what I regard as being mentor medicine, people where you are really life coaching people with lifetime, lifetime diseases like diabetes? Yeah, the world's your oyster. Why, why throw in your lot now? Well, I think this was an opportunity to connect with a company that had a shared vision. And as Jason talked about this idea of having one stop, you know, this merger creates the global leader in consumer-centric virtual care. And neither of us could do that alone. And so what we wanted to establish with people was one place to go, create a longitudinal relationship. And this brings together the two fastest growing companies in the space, the two most innovative companies in the space. You know, Jim, um, when consumers look at this, they don't want to go to four different places. They want to go to one place and they want to have their entire transaction managed. And that's what we've created here. So we've made it easier for people to stay healthy and we put the power back in the consumer's hands. And so that's that was so exciting. And we knew either we were going to, as Jason said, we were going to compete or we were going to come together. And we decided the best way to impact millions and millions of people 
was to come together. Now, I think it's important to point out that even though you guys have been dominant players, uh, Jason, there's very little overlap. There's lots of different ways to be able to get it so that there's customers. I know that deal has to close first, but there, the accretion here could be extraordinary. Well, that's right. You know, at Teladoc Health, we have over 70 million people who have access to our platform. I mentioned we'll do over 10 million visits this year. That 70 million is just here in the U.S., plus tens of millions internationally. Uh, there's only about a 25% client overlap, which we were quite frankly surprised when, when we compared notes. And so that just provides tremendous opportunity to expand the penetration and distribution of Livongo's leading chronic care management capabilities. And by putting them together, we think we just get better engagement, higher levels of referrals, and more value for the consumer. And I guess I'd just add, you know, this is what our clients have been asking for. They've been asking for a single solution and a single partner to deliver this kind of care and virtual solutions for their members, their consumers, regardless of whether it's a company or a commercial population or a Medicare or Medicaid population. Well, Glenn, then, you know, in terms of you delivering more value for your shareholders, you're you're counting on Jason to deliver on some of the synergies and what he was just talking about. How confident are you from your vantage point, given you decided to do this deal, that he can achieve? What are you guys talking about? I think greater than half a billion in revenue synergies by 2025. Well, uh, we've spent time together. I have a great deal of confidence in Jason and in the Teladoc team, um, as well as in our team. You know, Jim mentioned the fact that there is very little product overlap. There's very little customer overlap. And so we know, our teams know, we need each other to successfully win and execute. And what Jason said was exactly right. We have many of our clients who said, you need to add telehealth. And many of them say, you need to add teledoc. Um, and so that this is really driven by our customers who are saying to us, make it easier for us and give us one vendor, one place to partner with, one place to go to. So that's what we've really been able to do. So I have great confidence. And of course, look at the track record um, of what Jason has built. Um, you know, Jim mentioned early on uh, where the company was. Look at the company today. And this was, I think, the final piece of the puzzle that completes that virtual care place to go that you know a consumer whether they're talking about a hospital stop whether they're upgrading their care whether they need behavioral health it's all one place to go yeah and that's what people are saying we want it to be less confusing less complex and less costly that's what this merger delivers jason you know uh, integrating a, a deal like this is a lot more than just technology though it's about people it's about culture uh anything in your background that would indicate you sort of have the experience necessary to make sure you execute this thing properly well, I guess I'd start with saying um, we have a pretty good track record so far of integrating companies, retaining key management. Uh, and at, at the foundation of that is when, when we consider partnering with someone, culture is critical to us. And so, you know, that was part of the diligence. And in fact, I have a, a, a funny, I was having an email exchange with, with one of Lavango's incredibly talented executives. Uh, and talking about the future. And, and he actually emailed me that 
he's had fun with the diligence process, which you never hear somebody saying they're having fun with the diligence process, but getting to know executives who have a common goal, a common mission, and a common culture uh, is really powerful. And, and everyone sees the complementary assets and capabilities that both companies bring to this. Uh, Glenn, one last question. You've been someone who's understood the cost in healthcare forever for everything you've done. You try to bring it down with electrical, electronic medical records. Is there any help when you, uh, I hope when you put these two companies together that they'll actually be someday that healthcare won't take so much of our GDP? Well, I think it, uh, what I would say is we're going to make it much more efficient. Um, that said, remember in healthcare, the longer we keep people alive, the more services they use. They replace more hips as they get older. They replace more knees. They need, uh, you know, when you keep people alive for a longer period of time, they're spending more money on healthcare. But what we believe is you can spend it in a much more quality fashion, in a much more cost-effective fashion. And I think what Teladoc has been able to demonstrate is if you use telehealth, you're going to drive down your cost. You're going to keep people out of an expensive health system unless they need to be there. And similarly, Livongo delivers a measurable return on investment. So we're all about how do we create an incredible consumer experience, number one. Number two, how do we make it better care? And last but not least, if you do those first two, you're going to deliver a better cost-effective process. And so both companies, again, have a very aligned vision on doing that. And you know, I have tremendous confidence that Jason, our new combined board, and the team that he's put together. And remember, he's picked up probably the best data scientist in Silicon Valley and a lot of them who are going to help drive and further informate the process. So we've got a lot of assets to put together. And, you know, again, I just I got to tell you, we couldn't be more excited about where we're going to take the company. Well, you know, I've been your two biggest, your champion of both your companies and the Great Recovered Index, by the way. Uh, Livongo is number two. And uh, just enjoyed having you gentlemen on, the, on our show so many times. Uh, Jason Gorvik, congratulations, new CEO of this combined entity, Glenn Tolman. Uh, once again, thank you for everybody for being able to make it so medicine is not just the province of the rich. We're going to uh, go over to Carl. Thank you so much, Joe. All right, Jim, thanks. Uh, Still haven't gotten to Disney so far this morning. Stock's up 6% pre-market. We'll talk uh, direct-to-consumer, Mulan, of course, ESPN subs, and at least two upgrades this morning from Guggenheim and Credit Suisse. Back in a moment. For more than a decade, Comcast has been committed to bridging the digital divide and connecting millions to affordable high-speed Internet. But the barriers to get connected go well beyond affordability. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to reach millions with digital skills training, resources, and opportunities needed to succeed in a digital world. Project Up, building a future of unlimited possibilities. Learn more at Comcast.com slash Project Up. Is America's primary system working? Is the Electoral College still the best process for electing a president? Could a third-party candidate ever be successful? In a new season of You Might Be Right, former Tennessee governors Bill Haslam and Phil Bredesen gather the country's top experts to explore these issues and more as we approach the 2024 presidential election. Listen to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee, available now wherever you get your podcasts. 
There is a ton of vaccine news this morning. There's Novavax with uh, some initial phase one results that J.P. Morgan says may be best in class. But there's also Moderna earnings, Regeneron earnings, supply chain deals for J&J and Pfizer today. We'll get to all of that in a moment. Normally, we would have gotten to Disney by now, Jim, uh, but uh, market reacting well to the earnings last night. Certainly the sub numbers out of Disney Plus, as we well know, years ahead of schedule. And now uh, some sell side commentary that reiterates this idea that Disney's pivoting, Jim, to a world in which we do go to theaters and get on planes to go to parks less. Uh, I think that there are... uh Look, this was a remarkable call, first of all, because the cost controls didn't. No one ever thought they could amount to so much. I think a lot of ways because people felt Disney was so well run that there wasn't anything to take out. This was a cost call and and, uh, it was remarkable. Uh, When you get to the point where you actually have to defend that you have so much cash. I mean, just think about it. Two quarters ago, we were talking about you know, having to suspend the dividend and the dangers that we're just, Disney was facing. Now they've got a lot of money. They can wait it out. They can do whatever they want. And by the way, there's so much good vaccine news that to not merge the vaccine news with Disney is to, is to lose why this stock could go to 135.40 in a heartbeat. This is a great conference call. Really great. And you yep. can do a movie and charge 29 bucks for it. And people, it's one off. And people say, fine. Uh, this thing is just 100 million different uh, platforms. Uh, people, uh, Carl, it was a remarkable call. And the people who sold the stock at 117, they should have their uh, fi- their fingers taken away from them so they can't keyboard, enter keyboard. <laughs> they need it. They need their fingers. They should be written. They need mittens. I'm going to buy them all mitten clips so they never do anything. Jim, at the NYSE this morning, it's the American Red Cross helping those affected uh, by disasters like Tropical Storm Isaias at the NASDAQ, celebrating an IPO. It's Rackspace Technology. It's a multi-cloud technology services company. We're going to talk to the CEO later on on Squawk Alley. Uh, But, David, uh, to Jim's point, uh, enormous discipline. And that Mulan 2999 is is something for a Disney Plus sub. So uh, we'll be looking for flywheels in that. Yeah. Uh, and of course, that hundred million global sub number for for uh, Disney Plus, I think, is what the market is keying off of. Let's not forget they are spending a lot of money on Disney Plus. You have to invest a great deal. But uh, the investor base, the analysts all seem to be applauding the future investment that's coming there, given the growth they're seeing. I mean, Guggenheim. New Bob tees up bold investor day sequel with PVOD Windows, star streaming expansion, bundle breakout on the horizon. What would the conversation be? Bundle breakout on the horizon? If they hadn't done Disney Plus, what would be the conversation? Oh, my God. Well, if they're sports, that's a loser. They got cruise ships. What a fantastic business. (laughs) Yeah, we would definitely be talking about that, right? I've been long lines for Space Mountain. Are you kidding? Closed. Come on, David. No, and also, right. And oh, yeah, got no movies in production right now and none going to the big screen. Yeah, it would be void of anything positive to talk about. But since it was first brought up as an idea years ago by Bob Iger, we have been talking about direct-to-consumer for Disney. About who? uh, (laughs) The first Bob. Oh, I know. Yeah. I like Guggenheim. They call this guy New Bob. (laughs) (laughs) New Bob. (laughs) They just go Bob to Bob. It's like New Co. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, well, let's find another Bob. I don't know. Who knows? Are you Bob? You know what Bob spells backwards says means. Oh, that's so clever, dude. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'm 
15 cents for the obvious. Uh, but, guys, a 6 percent um, move, Jim, is, you know, you think it's sustainable, though. And you don't think that continued pressure in the theme parks, where they've cut $700 million in CapEx, that continued concerns about cord cutting is going to ever get in the way of sort of a positive story now? Uh, now, when I, if I were a Disney analyst, I would say, Okay, here's the positives and all of those. And including with the positives, I would say the Eli Lilly antibody trial, uh, the Novavax uh, vaccine, the uh, Merck antibody pills, the uh, the brand new. I would not do hydroxychloroquine. Sorry, Mr. President. It's a, that's a risk factor. But I, I do think that you have to start thinking like that. I, I think if you're in, in the bowels of the NFL, you're thinking, you know what? How is J&J doing with that warp speed vaccine? So I think that that's the biggest risk factors is all these things that we're going to be talking about don't pan out. And I just don't think you can have all these companies at Oxford uh, University fail. So I now think that the I think that the bears could be on the run on any good vaccine news from now on. Interesting. They, they raised an awful and lot of money. What does that Carl. mean, Jim, for well, I mean, the, the follow-on to that is what happens to the trade in, in deep cyclicals, right? Do we start, do, do we see an explosion in interest in uh, the industries that are actually now a pretty small slice of the S&P, but highly visible, like travel, like leisure, restaurants? I went over the uh, Emerson yesterday, because Emerson used to be the classic name that you could buy, and it turns out they made the quarter just on margin expansion. But today, someone can't resist. We got a firm recommending the stock. And I'll tell you, here's the one you want to know. This is how people can gauge this. There's a man by the name of Steve Tusa, and we've often talked about him. I call him Ishmael uh, because of of the Moby Dick aspects of GE, which he got completely right. Call me Ishmael. Call me Tusa. And he today has good things to say about 3M. 3M is the stock to watch. It may be, David, one time we used to talk about the key to this market yes. when we sat next to each other. The fact that Tusa said good things about 3M, and he's hated it since 250, okay? Yep. And it's down to 150, tells me, Carl, that everybody is trying to find a cyclical that they can get cotton up to. I decided to cotton up to DuPont because they do have auto and they, have, and they also have some housing. But I watch 3M as being the bellwether, and if 3M... If they make some big moves here, uh, the, uh, more healthcare, uh, and China picks back up, it's, which it looks like it's doing, it, that could be the stock that people are going to pile into. Hmm. 3M. Wow, that's a, okay. That's the first time I've heard you say something like that. For a while, the first time Tusa has really. I'm with Tusa. Okay. You know, like I'm with stupid. I'm with Tusa. <laughs> By the way, speaking of Tusa, makes me think of GE. I don't know if you noticed, Peltz has been—they've been selling. Trian's been selling. Some really? Stock. Yeah. You. You're waving? You're waving well, at me? Sure, I wanted people to know that I can actually see you as oh, a human. I know. You're not a hologram. You're I'm not. not in, I'm real. I'm right. here. Power's out in the house. So here I am. I like that white background much more. It's much Wait, more. St- you like, like the other stu- background? The yeah, where you are looks so good. I could do the, green screen no, of my one. other shot. I, I know Wapner came here because I don't think he felt that his house could compare to yours. No? Um, yeah. Well, you know, we're all going to get out of the house soon. And one of these days, you're going to even let me come over there socially. Di- maybe. I don't know. Well. Maybe even we get Carl, and we, you know what we'd call that? We'd call that a show, actually, a show. in the same place. <laughs> show. We can do yeah. it on stage, maybe. Yeah, in the like, stage. I went down through. I went, I went. Carl, I went through. I went to Broadway on Sunday. Mm, it was kind of like Planet of the Apes. You know that scene where the Statue oh, yeah. of Liberty is uh, like I, hanging I am legend. You really Holy did it. Cow. You did it. Um, guys, on, I was talking about GE, but I, I want to mention the banks. We, don't talk, we haven't talked about them since earnings season. I'm sure you've seen Warren Buffett adding, what, 300 and 
$37 million worth of Bank of America. I know. Another 13.58 million shares. Average price, 2481 between the end of July and today. Isn't he worried about increasing loan losses and the possibility there may be no deal between the Democrats and Republicans? I, you know, Jim, I don't know. I mean, he's by far, Berkshire is by far the largest single owner of Bank of America shares. And I, frankly, I'm, I'm, I just want to see exactly where they are in terms of a percentage. But adding more. What if Secretary Mnuchin says, you know what, guys, I think the things uh, w- w- you're going to have to curtail your dividends and cut your dividends because you're going to need the capital. Is, are people just thinking that's not going to happen? Um, I guess they think that it's not potentially going to happen. And I guess you think that it may happen. Well, I just think if we don't get a deal soon and, and Carl, we take away the $600 and we don't put the $1,200 in people's pockets. Yeah. I, I think that, look, so, I'm a big believer that the vaccines are going to come to the rescue, the cavalry. But we need that. We need something to keep us going before the cavalry gets here. Yep. Uh, Politico, with the latest this morning, Jim, is that the GOP concessions include going to 400 a week uh, through mid-December. Uh, election moratorium, eviction moratorium through mid-December, $200 billion in state and local. And then the Dems, according to uh, Politico, have given a little bit on USPS funding. So There'll be a deal tomorrow. It does appear, uh, Jim, like there is movement. There'll be a deal tomorrow, tomorrow or Friday. You think when so? When I hear that, yes. 400 is the, is the number. 400 is the number or 400? We're talking bid-ass 4-6 now. No, no. 400 was the, was, uh, that was what they, the Dems were hoping they would come up to. Okay. They're not going to suddenly start saying 450. They're not going to bid against themselves. So you get 400 and you get an extension. Do yes. you get an overall bill or is that just a separate we, no. quick extension and then you deal with the big other My issues? My understanding is that, yes, the small package. Right. Right. But then again, my Verizon bids was my understanding. And you <laughs> laugh that off. The well, I want to make sure people understand it's not you saying that you know that you know that's going to happen. You were simply saying it could make sense for it to happen, well, I, even though it's not going to happen. Uh, people who are more powerful with me than me within the administration thought it made sense. Okay, right. How about that? Got it. Okay. I, I didn't like. Wasn't like I got it. Out no, of the I understand, air. and that's good. That's no. that's good color to have. Thank you. Um, yeah, in Microsoft TikTok, Microsoft ByteDance, fascinating. Uh, yeah, Carl. Uh, we'll talk some Nikola too, guys. After the break, yep. uh, with the executive chair on the heels of their first earnings print, and as David alluded to, banks, energy, industrials, all one percent plus gains. Nikola reporting its first earnings as a public company last night with no revenue or physical product to show at this point. How does it stack up against its competition? Well, joining me now is Trevor Milton. He's Nikola's founder and executive chairman. He's going to give us an update, discuss the outlook for the company. Trevor, always good to have you. Um, You know, on the conference call yesterday after you reported earnings, your CEO is not particularly forthcoming. I think to the frustration of some analysts in terms of hoping for more guidance on some of those milestones out there. So I'll go through them with you and see what you can tell us, if anything. Uh, let's start with the announcement of a significant commercial agreement for Nikola Zero Emissions. You say it's in the works by the end of 2020. Is it still? Yeah, it is. It's, uh, there's a lot of really good things going on in the background. The hard part is, you know, with analysts, you really need to manage your expectations. I'm a little bit more of a, um, an outspoken uh communicative type of executive chairman. My, our CEO is very, and CFO were very, very methodical and, and they're all about managing expectations with analysts. So, um, you know, it's, it's definitely, we have a variety here at Nikola, but it's in the works for sure. Yeah. I'm excited about it. Um, yeah, I guess, you know, let me come back to that. I mean, how, how does that work? As you say, you come on TV with us, we talk, 
you are an outgoing personality. You're willing to say things. You're very active on Twitter. And then you got these buttoned up CEO, the CEO and CFO. Is that an arrangement that's going to work long term for you, given you are still a development company that doesn't, you know, that we're all focused on milestones because it's not like you have any profits? Yeah, I, I think it's good. You know, you need balance in life. Um, I'm a lot to handle. I know that. And it's good to have a CFO and a CEO that are very, uh, um, very methodical. And, and you know, they've ran publicly traded companies before. You know, Mark was the was the president of Worthington Industries. So he's a lot more, um, I guess you could say, like uh, thought out, like very, very buttoned up, like you said. And uh, look, I'm very I'm very open, good or bad. I get, I get hammered and I get loved. It's like a love hate relationship with a lot of people. And- <laughs> well, that's, that's why we like to have you. And that's why I've, I've enjoyed getting to know you a bit. Uh, let's go back to the list though. An announcement of an OEM partner for the Nicola Badger by the end of 2020. That's still uh, on track. Absolutely. Um, you know, I had three term sheets on my desk, uh, three of them to choose from. And um, unfortunately they have uh, the OEMs have made me not, speak about what we're doing. So I, I can give you just a little bit. I can't give you a lot. Um, what I can say is that we are in very, very deep, definitive discussions with um, with um, OEMs. I had three of them on my desk. I had to choose which one we were going to go with. And I think everyone's going to be very, very excited about that. And I, we'll tell everyone as soon as we can. This is the one that is hard for me because the Badger is so awesome and it's such big news. And what we're doing is so revolutionary. Like when it comes to the idea of how big OEMs can work with new upcoming, awesome brands. <clears throat> it's kind of like what everyone wished some, you know, Tesla would have done with, with an OEM we have, we, you know, we have done. So it's going to be very exciting when that news comes out. Unfortunately, I just, uh, they, I get they've it. like handcuffed me, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess so. All right. How about the announcement of a hydrogen station collaboration by the end of the year? That's still on track. It is. Yeah. We've given, you know, they wanted to beat expectations and it was really painful. Look, I know yesterday was, was tough. I wasn't on the call. I was, I was here in Phoenix, but I let the, I let our CEO and CFO, um, you know, manage the call. Cause that's, that's their job, you know, and I wanted them to have, feel like they have a voice in the company. And, um, and so it was, it was really hard for me, you know, cause I, I, the way I would go about things would be a little bit different, but that's also what's, ex- what's good about the company is that it, the long-term you know, the big institutional funds want to know that you have very, very like, like rock solid, methodical, you know, executive team. Right. right. And then you also have me who's very vocal and innovative and creative and, and, and uh, working on huge deals. And so you really do get the best of all things, but they, they wanted to manage the expectations. They put it out to, yep. to let people know, look, by the end of the year, my goal is to go and blow it out of the water now. Right. Okay. So yeah, right. You're the you're out there. You're the cheerleader. You can only cheer so much, but eventually you've got to actually put up some real numbers and milestones, Trevor. I mean, you know, we can bring yeah. you on all you want and you can talk all you want and it sounds great, but when are we going to start to see something beyond you promising stuff? No, look, that's absolutely fair. And I also have to, you know, I, I usually don't come to my defense, you know, too much to people because I, you know, look, I've got a lot of things to learn and, and do better. Right. But we're a pre-revenue company. We told everyone from the beginning of the year, look, give us till the end of this year. Like it doesn't, you know, people want us to be Tesla in our first three weeks debut of like, we want, you know, we want all these trucks on the road right now. That's not going to happen. Look, we're going to have the first zero emission truck, you know, coming into production in the world. It's coming out of our factory in Ulm, Germany. Now we have five of them built. Um, They're going to be testing over the next four or five months. And we have them in the hands of customers next year and full deliveries at the end of next year. That's ahead of everybody, even our competition. Our factory here in, in Coolidge, Arizona, 
we just broke ground. All the tractors, the staff, like all the big, big earth movers, everything else are showing up next week. We'll have that factory done in the next, um, pretty much in the next, uh, in next 12 months there. I, I told people 12 to 14 months, that'll be up and running. Nikola world. You're going to see the real badger. It's, it's real. And everyone gets to see that pickup truck at Nikola world and they get to see it driving. It is beautiful. And so we've given like to our defense, we are pre-revenue. We told everyone that, right. you know, we need until the end of the year. Like people need to like understand that we're not a revenue generating company yet, but we all, we're, we're coming in like a freight train. I think that's why people are excited to invest is because it's like kind of getting in early on or way early on, on Tesla. And if we were building, you know, a thousand trucks a year, it would be, would be two or $300 a share. And so, you know, that's uh, you either get in early and you get the benefits of the rocky rockiness or you don't, you know? All right, well, Hey, Trevor, Jim Kramer. Um, I've always appreciated your commentary. And if you've got the badger, let me be the honey badger. Uh, you got 14,000, uh, reservations uh 10 billion dollar order book how much how much in deposits have you taken in um i wish i could comment on that but it'll actually give away the number of reservations we have but is it the possibility that the number of deposits is zero no heavens no no we've we got a lot of so some people are depositing some people aren't depositing it was like kind of like a kind of like a commune no no we require deposits on every order we have now so that that um, would seem to be a disclosable number i I mean, as a matter of fact, I think it's a material number that you will have to disclose. If, if there was an SEC, not just the one that's on CBS, but the actual SEC, I think they'd ask you, what is your number? Because we can't make I, a judgment. No, I think that's fair. And I think you're going to see it in our next quarter's uh, uh, you know, earnings. I think you're going to see that you know, divided out. Okay. So, it, you know, look, the Badger is actually really cool. And, and I'd love to have you out here. Look, I know you guys have, uh, you know, I, I think yesterday you kind of, you know, you kind of came down on us pretty hard. And that's OK. Ah. Like, it's my job to. It's my job to prove you guys prove everyone right. It's your job to really question things. And, and, and I'm okay with that, but I, I, you know, look, I'd like to have you guys out here in person at Nikola world to see this, but even sooner when we make these announcements, I'll come on again and, and it, they're coming in, they're coming in, they're going to be coming in soon. And we wanted to beat expectations because that's the only thing you can gain credibility as a pre-revenue company. Well, as long as you say you're not going to take any money in and then you take money and you've definitely beaten expectations. That's one of the great things. I know David and I like to talk about that. Uh, Cybertruck, Badger. I mean, I might, how many things can you do at once? I mean, it, Badger, if it, would it, just be, it would be enough for the fuel truck, right? I mean, a, a hydrogen would be enough, but you just got to get it all in, huh? <laughs> you know, it's, it's something, uh, strange and funny about entrepreneurs that are, that are, uh, that are real, that have been around and really pushed hard is you find out that efficiency drives you insane. And so you push your teams to be fully efficient all the times. And, and if you're working on one project, most of your team's actually sitting idle because they wait for each other. So you can do four or five projects more efficiently than you can do one. People don't, you know, once you build a company, you'll realize that, you know, when it comes to engineering on a, on an automotive group. That's why a lot of big OEMs have multiple platforms going on at once. Hey, Trevor, I know there was some concern just about how many shares you have, given the warrants and everything else. Also, some confusion about Value Act, because that's Jeff Ubbin. That's the first time I met you, of course. Uh, It's now inclusive capital. That 20 million shares, he still owns it. It moved from Value Act over. So I want to clarify that for people if they thought somehow he had sold. But what about yeah. all those shares? And what about new money? Are you in a position where you can try and deliver on all the different things you're telling us about without having to raise new capital? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, here's here's a couple of things we had. You know, there's three or four stories that said we went out and did all these offerings and diluted everyone and hurt everybody. And, you know, they, they told everyone that our investors were bailing on us and none of them were true. It was so frustrating. They were like, we we're just issuing the, the, the warrants that come with the SPAC and also the 
also the pipe investors that invested before anybody. And so um, that was pretty tough. And then yesterday they announced that Value Act had liquidated all their assets, all their Nico holdings, which is a complete lie. And it was, that was really tough because it sent our stock, it really hit our stock. And then they didn't even bother calling Value Act or us. We would have told them, look, they're just, they just moved it out of one fund to a different fund, a different name. Um, so that's to address that. And, and it's hard because sometimes you're chasing your tail on bad, bad, you know, media. Yeah. The next one, when it comes to money, Look, we're sitting on $900 million now in cash in our account. We have another $40 million coming in from warrants. Um, right now, the, the company's doing very well financially. Like, I, I know a billion dollars doesn't sound like a lot of money in today's age. You know, five or six years ago, that would have been impressive, you know? It still is. I mean, I'd rather have a billion than not have a billion, right, Kramer? But it's... <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, let's be honest, but it's, but, but we're going to burn through a lot building, building the factory. we got a burn rate of 200 million a year for three years. Right. Um, we, you know, for the factory, we have our, uh, we have our hiring, we have all of the vehicle programs. We have the, the launch and here's one thing that was missed. So yesterday in the earnings, we actually spent $11 million less than was expected. And we, uh, we even built the badger in that program that was never disclosed. So to build the badger and to beat it by 11 million is like a miracle. And the headlines where we missed earnings. And actually, once again, they, uh, you know, they just, they just got the numbers wrong and that's okay. We, uh, you know, right. we, we tried to clarify with the analysts last night, but um, once the stock stabilizes here and it starts to, it starts to do really well, there's a lot of financing options you can do with, uh, you know, we're definitely going to need more money, but we're going to do it at the right time where you can bring in the right money without hurting the, you know, without hurting people. All right. And yeah, well, you talk about your shareholder base. I mean, you've got a lot of speculative people in there. You know, the stock took off, of course. We know about the Robinhood traders. They're not going to be there long term. So you're going to be dealing with this volatility, particularly when you got somebody like you out there sort of stoking the fires, Trevor. Yeah, I mean, look, our generation's changed a lot, right? The whole, you guys know this first and foremost, it, it's changed everything. And you, the Robinhood traders really do they're, they're in it for the short term. Some are in for the long term, but most of them are, are very, you know, kind of in and out quickly. Right. And it does it does make it a little more difficult to predict where the stock is going to go. Um, but I do know one thing they love. They, they want to communicate with the with the executive team. And that's what I give them. I give them access to to actually on a platform of Twitter and Instagram to actually directly be able to ask me questions and talk to me. And it's refreshing. I mean, they're used to CEOs that sit behind the desk and they'll never talk. And here I am. I look, even if I get hammered and I do a lot, I, mean, my, I came up with this new thing called Trolls with Trevor and I'm going to do like a, a weekly or monthly episode of, of, uh. <laughs> of that. But it's, and you guys get this, but they, it, the world's changed now and, and I have to deal with the Robin Hood investors of my generation and also the, also the institutional investors. And man, it's very few people are ever IPO pre-revenue and dealing with that along right. with a nationwide pandemic. So we got a tough thing on our plate. I won't lie, but uh, this year, I can tell you this. The next four months are going to be the greatest four months in Nikola's history ever, hands down. All right. So this is what's exciting about Nikola. Okay. Like if you, you're gonna, keep, you guys are going to see I'm what's keeping coming. that tape, and yeah. I'm going to play it back to you, you next time if you don't deliver. So just so you know, okay. those and next four months. And if I don't, you guys, yeah. I'm okay with that. And if I yeah. don't beat the hell out of me oh, all over the world, I'm okay I will with just that. beat you silly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It'll be a tag team. <laughs> Trevor, tag it. Trevor, yeah. thank you. It is always Thanks, guys. refreshing and interesting. Appreciate it. Thank Trevor you. Milton, Executive Chairman of Appreciate Nikola. It. Guys, S&P 3325 this morning. Keep your eye on Disney now up 10%, close to 130. That is a post-COVID high on the heels of its results. We're back in a moment. 
It's time for Jim and Stop Trading. You're not going to get a, as much of a pinata as when you get Trevor from, whoa, from, from Nicola. But there is a company called Novavax, which has been, was it two bucks earlier this year? It was so small I couldn't even have it on Mad Money. And here it is. And it is a battleground stock, Carl, because initially when they came out with their numbers last night, people said, well, 130 people, more antibodies, two shots and one booster looking real good. Immediately, the bears come out and say, wait a second. There were eight people who had side effects that were negative. Now, that is the beginning of what you're going to start hearing. You're going to start hearing side effects and how many side effects make it so that people might not take the vaccine when it's ultimately developed. Now, the side effects people, they went away. So when soon as people heard that the side effects weren't that, were just more niggling than serious, the stock shot up. But you've got to start recognizing that when we, when we, we're not just going to hear that things are effective. We're going to hear about whether something has more side effects. And whoever has the least side effects, Carl, wins. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned earlier the J.P. Morgan note this morning, Jim. We believe it's not too far a stretch to conclude that this uh, candidate looks best in class. Are you in that camp? No, uh, I am still Oxford and J&J and, uh, and then and Pfizer. Those three, I think, are the best. But uh, look, these guys, remember, you, you, Moderna, I'm not even including. And I know people feel Moderna's best in class, but I think, let's, take them all in, in, let's take them all as a piece. That's why you buy Disney. You think they're all going to fail? They're not all going to fail. One of them is going to get yeah. us to the promised yeah. land. We have to start thinking a little more positive about life. We are getting incredible, incredible numbers from these companies. One of them is going to make it, and we only need one to get to the promised land. Novavax is up 4,479%, and it is not, that's a nice return, by the way, probably better than your mutual fund. (laughs) And I just say, I am feeling, and I felt this last night, I was talking to Mark Benioff, we do a lot of work together on my mask initiative. For the first time, I felt that there are enough Shots on goal. Enough drug companies starting to hear hearing good things that next year is going to be a very different, better year than 2020. Yeah, it would be nice to move on to things like distribution and logistics rather than approval and development. Jim. Don't, don't forget, uh, you got to uh, Beyond Meat billions of miles. Beyond Meat, I, look, I, I, this is another one. This is kind of like uh, nickel. I mean, what people are selling it. Are you kidding me? It's the future. All right. Victor Peng delivers amazing numbers for Xilinx. It's not too late to buy that semiconductor company. Jeff Martin. Hey, you know what? He believes in hydrogen. And that's what we got to find out about hydrogen fuel, because it's cheap. It's clean. It reminds me of nuclear power before Three Mile Island. <laughs> Jim, we'll see you at six. We got some data to get to. Uh, Mad Money, of course, 6 p.m. Eastern time. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee.